All right, my name is Jonathan Garza, as I probably don't need to say that, as I was just said. But uh, my place here where I'm comfortable, I, I need to give you a little bit of context. I'm going to apologize, okay? I really think that it's the Lord that I, I was given this topic, put it on my heart to talk about. Because uh, as many of you who know me know, I am not articulate. <laughs> I'm dyslexic. I'm more comfortable with something musical in my hands that I can just play. And it just, in my mind, it makes more sense. My brain doesn't work this way. So I'm sorry you got me to talk about this. But in our weaknesses, God's strength is made perfect, right? There's somewhere in the Bible about that. We're going to start off talking about it this way. Some moments, some moments in time. I want to ask you, how many of you guys will go to your grandma, and you see her, and the first thing you say is, oh, hey, what's up, you old hag? You're not dead yet. That's not how you talk to your grandma, right? Or like you go to your grandma, and you're like, you can't tell me what to do, woman. I'm Hispanic. I would cease existing. If I talked to my grandmother that way, she wouldn't even go outside and get the switch. She would just go to the closet and get the shotgun. Like, that's not how you do that. That's not what you do. I'm really bad at this, as Pam can attest. Going to funerals. How many of you guys have trouble coping? I have this really bad habit of laughing at funerals. I just, I don't cope well with it. I, I either get really, really sad and I just like, I, I, I just can't stop crying, like ugly crying, or I try to cope with it and I find something and I just get the giggles and I cannot stop. It's awful. It's really, really bad. And I think it's just a coping mechanism or it might be the fact that I'm emotionally broken. I don't really know. We'll just call it a coping mechanism. But if anybody here does that, Raise your hand. If my, who's my, like, my bad, wrong moment laughers, where you try to find something to make light of a situation just because you want that situation to be better? There's something in there. There's something in those moments. And talking to your grandma or going to a funeral, that demands a reverent moment. It demands a little bit of respect. One more story. My wife and I went on a date our first year of marriage. And we're not musical people. But we were like, okay, we'll be cultured. And Les Miserables just come out. And we're in the movies. And we were sitting on the very, very back row because we had this huge thing of popcorn. And we had a whole bunch of snacks. And we didn't want to be, like, super loud. And I don't remember exactly if it was uh, me that choked on popcorn, if it was Pam. Either way, it doesn't matter. One of us had a moment where we just kind of coughed and choked. And we, we, like, it was that cough, that bad cough where you just cannot stop. And it's like, it starts so tiny, and the more you try to hold it in, the more it comes out more and more and more. And before I know it, I look up at the moment that we're doing this to see, like, the people in the front rows, like, looking at us. Because in the choking and the coughing, we're just, like, busting out laughing. Like, audibly so by this point. Like, you're just, like, trying to hold it in. You're like, <clears throat> and you're just, like, laughing. You can't keep it in. Well, we look at the screen. We're like, why is everyone on the rows in front of us looking at us? What in the world are they looking at? And we so happen to have this laughing moment right in, like, the worst scene of the movie where, like, the main character, like, gives up her innocence and her purity and she sells herself and she's, she's in a bad place. And we're just in the back, like, hysterically laughing. <laughs> and people, like, looked back at us and they were like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> You monsters. 
<laughs> but we didn't know. We didn't know. We... There's something about their reaction that's correct, isn't there? There's moments, there's places, there's people that demand a little bit of reverence and respect. And so today we're going to talk about the holiness of God, how God is holy. Something inside of us, I think all of us, knows that when we're in that moment of reverence, that there's something deeper. I believe it's a spirit. If you were to picture the holiness of God, I, if I were to take a census of this room, I bet some of you would say that he's holy, he's distant. Holiness equals distance. Holiness equals someone that's far off. That you're uh, kind of like, it makes me think of when I was a kid, there was this one room that had a china cabinet with like some really fine china in it. We were not allowed to touch that room. Like ball wasn't going in that room. Toys weren't going in that room because you know what's going to happen. You're going to throw that thing and it's going to bust the fine china and all of like great grandma Susie's like plate that she gave your mom that kind of means something is going to crack, right? That type of distance, that wall, like, oh no, we just don't go there. Or maybe like this, maybe the picture of holiness is making God unaccessible. And this one is a little bit more difficult because we think about it and there's actually a little bit of truth in the fact that he is high, he's pure, good. And we think of these topics and we say, oh, we are not. And we put a door there and we say, okay, he's unaccessible because of that. Or more common, how many of you guys can think of someone right now who's holier than thou? So much so that that has actually become an idiom, a saying that we say, oh, this person, they're holier than thou. What does that usually mean? That means that they will do something, they, they do everything right outwardly, and that you know how they treat people on the inside. Or maybe they act one way on Sunday in front of everyone, but you know what they did that Friday night. And that hypocrisy, it eats at you, doesn't it? There's something inside of it that makes you just say, this is not right, and this is not how this should be. Ultimately, what we're going to get at is this. God is holy. And we're going to break down this word and we're going to talk about this a little bit. Because this was important. Repetition means something in the Bible. When something is repeated multiple times, the more it's repeated means that it has a greater value, a greater importance. There's God saying, don't miss this. I'm going to say it again. Don't miss this. Holiness or its synonyms are mentioned 650 times, over 650 times in the Bible. There's something in this. There's something to this, and we can't miss it. In Leviticus 11, verse 44, and also mentioned in 45, we have, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Father, will you please come this night? Lord, you put this on my heart. Lord, I know that you're speaking, and I feel that you have a message for us, Lord. Spirit, will you come and will you speak to us? Father, I pray and I ask, God, that we get a glimpse of your goodness, a glimpse of your, of your purity, of your, of your kindness, of your love. And, Lord, that you draw us near. Father, that we break down walls, Lord, that we can let, let go of and see past some past experiences, some past relationships where we've experienced this in a rough way, in a hard way, Father. And Lord, could come to it fresh, to come to the table fresh, Father, and be fed by your word. 
Father, will you help us to meet with you and to meet you? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I won't get super nerdy, but uh, the Hebrew of holy is kodesh, comes from kadesh, root word. It essentially means this, something that's pure, something that's set apart for God's use. There's synonyms in the Bible that have to do with this word sanctify. It's oftentimes, how many of us have heard old pastors talked about, oh, sanctification, got to get the sanctification. I remember being a little bit younger and thinking, what in the world am I hearing? Like, what does that word mean? We don't use that anymore. But essentially, it means this, to be set apart for special use, something distant that's moved and separated out because it is special, and it's to be special. And essentially, we're going to blast through a few of these things because I want to lay a case here for you, that this word holy as it's ascribed to God is true through and through. So we see that the Son is called holy. The verses will be up here. If you're taking notes, I encourage you just to write down the verse and study this at home. But we find in Mark 124 that when Jesus entered the synagogue, he saw a man with an unclean spirit. Unclean spirit's kind of a, if you haven't been to church, it's a demon. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> he walked in and saw a person with something on him. And that demon, that man recognized that Jesus was there, and he called him out. He said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. We see that the Father is called holy. During the days leading up to the crucifixion, Jesus, as he prayed a prayer in which he calls the Father holy. This is in John 17, verse 11. Holy Father, Keep through your own name. And he goes on in that verse. But this Holy Father, this word Holy Father, is only said once because it's actually an Old Testament tradition that this reference of Holy One is describing God. We see that the Spirit is called Holy. It's called the Holy Spirit. So there's not much I need to say there. <laughs> if you want a verse, look up Romans 15, 16, where he's talking about that you should be a minister at the end of that, that you should be sanctified by the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Those words are synonymous. So through these and through countless others, I, if you want to come to me, I have the list. I have that list of verses that over 650, I thought it'd be like, I'd be really funny and throw them all on slides and then we just keep like scrolling through and y'all take pictures, but I didn't want to be mean. Come to me and I'll give you that list. Those over 600 times, 650 times where Jesus, God, Father, those are called to be holy. He is holy. I'll give that to you. But through Scripture, we see that God is holy. And He is the standard of all worth and value. And He is utterly holy. I'll say that again. God is holy. He is the standard of all worth and value. He is completely and utterly holy. But more than this, that's describing the person of God. We see attributes can be defined as holiness. Then we start talking about the adjective of doing something in a certain way. And this is where it gets a little more complicated. But in the Bible, we find pictures of, of wisdom being holy. To be wise is to be holy. In Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So now we're talking about attributes. 
Okay, now we're talking about actions. These are things that can be done by God to us, but also through us to God and our fellow man. Worship is holy. We're called, we're asked to be holy in worship. And I want you to keep going back to that word we're talking about, pure, set apart. Because I think holy, it's so easy to have a complicated connotation. So we're called to be pure and set apart in worship. What is worship? But honoring God, telling him you love him. We're going to simplify these things down. Psalms 29.2. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now we're told here that it's, it's beautiful to be pure, to be set apart. There's power in his holiness. Ezekiel 38.23. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. I will show my greatness and my holiness. That could be a whole other sermon that we have. God is great. I, went, I don't envy the person who has to preach that one. That one's a little bit difficult. <laughs> all you're just talking about is all the awesome things he did, right? But the power of his spirit, the power of God, showcases his holiness. What we see is that God's own value is the basis of the gospel and the key of life. God's own value, who he is, how he treats us, what he does. There's holiness in that, and he is holy. And it's the key, it's the, it's the standard. But this is still kind of complicated, isn't it? Because this is a loaded word. Holiness, and this is where a lot of us get hung up. It's a description. It's used as a descriptor of God. But it's also a command. We're called to be holy. We're called to be pure. We're called to be set apart. Finney says this precept enjoins holiness and our first business should be what holiness is. The word holy is a summary of God's own demonstrated nature and character. And if he is holy, if he is pure, if he's set apart, we're going to give this some meaning here. And we're going to say this is our definition for holiness. That holiness is the measure of love and wisdom, infinite in him and finite in those that he made. Holiness is the measure of love and wisdom, infinite in God, and finitely expressed through those that he made. You see, there's never been an awakening in church history that hasn't had this element of holiness ingrained in it. That if we're going to actually do this Jesus thing, if we're going to serve, if we're going to love him, then there's something that must be pure and set apart in us, through us. And we're going to look different than the rest of the world. Look back at every revival Ask Scroggins, he'll tell you. Each revival had this element of holiness, that it was necessary for God to come, for God to move in us. I believe that without holiness, no one shall see the Lord truly for her, who he is. This is true on earth as it is in heaven. 
without holiness, we can't meet him. So how does this affect how we act to God, with God? There's relationships that we have this way, us and the Lord, and there's relationships that we have with those around us. If holiness is God's wisdom and love proportionately shown to us, then what does this mean with how we treat him and how we think of him? The first is this, that God's needs and his kingdom come first. God's needs and his kingdom come first. We see this first in Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. We see it in the New Testament in Matthew 6, verse 33. And I'm so sorry, I'm I'm going through these verses very quickly. They're going to be on the slides. If anything, my hope and my goal tonight is that as we end tonight, we get a picture of what this word can mean. And it's difficult for me because it feels like we have to cover a lot of ground. And we do. So don't worry if you can't go there fast enough. Matthew 6, verse 33, But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Well, if God's needs and his kingdom need to come first, then we can simply look back and say, where is areas in our life where we're not putting him first? Where are areas in our life where we're not being wise, we're not being loving with what he's given us? The saying right now today in our day and age is that nobody's perfect. And I think this description of perfection needs a little bit of uh, a little bit of time spent on it. It's a modern axiom. It's certainly not biblical, though. We saw it in that first verse in Leviticus that we read. Because being perfect is not infinite perfection. Perfection for us is not infinite perfection, nor some perfectionist's inability to do wrong or make a mistake. It is the equivalent of being both sincere and blameless, with honest intention, living up to the light God gives us. Put simply, what does this mean? You are responsible for what you know. And we are. I think of Gabriel, my son. He is in this phase right now where he loves to grab any stick or any small object, and he goes to the first window he sees, and he just starts banging that thing on the window. And we always know when he does it because our windows are old and they're large, so they really reverberate. Responsible for what you know, right? So I I don't go to him and say, Gabriel, how dare you do this? You're going to break a window, the glass will shatter on you, and you're just going to, it's going to be a bad thing. We're going to have to replace that window. You're going to owe us some money. (laughs) No. He's 10 months I think God has that same view of us too. He sees us where we're at and he knows where we're at. And he never gives us more than we can handle. And you're responsible for carrying that thing. And it's a continual growth. We're made to grow. Growth only comes when we've been given stress. And this stress is healthy stress. Who are my, my, my weightlifters in here? Who are the people that lift weights? And you're like, you go to the gym, you just need to chill out, you got to get away from people, you're going to pump some iron, right? Yeah. 
Okay, if you were to walk up to the, the press and you see on there 600 pounds of weights and you're supposed to bench press it. <laughs> okay, 1,000 pounds, forgive me. Do you then say, oh, how dare this person ask me to do this thing, this impossible thing? You know what? I'm going to give up working out forever. I'm going to leave this gym. I'm going to go to McDonald's right now. No. You say, well, I can't lift that, but I'm going to take off some weights, and I'm going to lift what I can. I'm going to get a spotter. You're responsible for what you know. Winky Prattney says, when we deny the possibility of change or worse, reject that real difference by attempting to alter or compromise the reality of that standard, we sentence ourselves to stagnation and even some form of eventual death. We cannot change the standard to fit our own fitness. Being perfect in a biblical way is not only possible, it is mandatory. God's needs in his kingdom come first. Please, don't take his word and cheapen it. Take it and grow from it. Secondly, God's honor comes first. In John 12, verse 26, it says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If you're here, know that you're being called right now. <laughs> this is your call. And it's coming through this service, through worship, through the Holy Spirit, and now through this message. To follow, trust, and love the only one worth all of your trust, love, and honor. Because God's honor needs to come first. There is this idea that we can take Christ as our Savior, but not as our Lord. For those who were here last semester, we spent, I think, the whole year on lordship. And we talked about it in so many different ways. And it just kept coming. It just kept coming. Each of us had the message, and we were like, I, I think this aspect, this is really means something to me. I'm going to talk about this. And we're like, cool, let's do it. And it didn't stop. It's what the Lord was speaking to us. Go back online, look through those messages. But they regard lordship. And lordship is simply this. God is God. We are not. <laughs> God is God, and we are not. And nowhere in the Bible is lordship optional. Nowhere in the Bible is it listed where God cannot be our friend, but also our boss. He's both. And we're called to walk with him in that way and in that light. You see, Bluetooth in car is optional. An opening trunk that, like, you just push a button and it goes like that, and you don't have to touch it, that's optional. But an engine, that's not optional. A transmission, that's not optional. And this is how it is with the Lord. His lordship is not an optional choice for us to make. As we come to Jesus, he asks us to make him Lord too. Also in this verse in John, it said, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And so we see here that serving Jesus implicitly and explicitly implies following Jesus. And this is the area where many of us get that notion of holier-than-thou people. 
Because how many of us can say, oh, I serve you, but then don't actually do any following? Both have to come. And with God's honor coming first, then that means that as we're living out this thing, as we're walking with the Lord and as we're growing and we're being held responsible for what we know, and that stress and that weight gets gradually added by the Lord as he reveals his character and his nature to us, then that means there's going to be areas where that honor is difficult. Some of your friends, if you give your life to the Lord, they're going to laugh at you. They're going to say you've become one of those church guys, girls. You used to do this on Friday night. Now you don't do that anymore. And you're going to get laughed at. But know that you're in good company. Winky Prattney says, 12-year-olds died in the mouths of lions for Jesus. Show me the 22-year-old that's willing to be laughed at for Jesus. It's worth it. And any amount of shame that you take because you're in this room right now, God sees it, and he's going to move through it. And you are a living testament to your friends around you. Know this, though, that holiness is not a way to salvation, but rather in a fruit and a character of salvation. It's not the way to salvation. It's a fruit and a character. And we're going to say this. This is not a sermon about sin. But just to touch on that, because as we talk about holiness, there's an opposite to that, right? Sin is selfishness. And as you're walking with the Lord and he gives you more weight, he gives you more responsibility, and he he puts things in your heart that he's asking you to let go of. But there's going to be some fruit that comes from that. And you're going to be more wise and more loving with those around you. Remember our definition? Holiness is wisdom and love equally shared. Because if we don't turn from our sin, it will kill us. It absolutely will kill us. Because sin is, it's, it's an alien invasion to the moral nature made in the image of God. It's not natural here. It's an alien invasion. It's selfishness. It leads to death. God's asking us to be holy for our own good because he wants to make us happy. He wants to be friends with us. So finite and infinite. If God is infinite and we are finite, how can we even do this? How do we do this? I think it has to do with this. There's two ways that we can learn. Generationally speaking, your parents and your parents' parents' generation learned in a completely different manner than you guys learn. I'm in that same boat than we learn. You see, our parents were what I would call analog people. Did anyone ever see those old stereos where you have the volume knob and your, your dad is like, turn that down, and you like start doing this? That's going to be so weird to like your grandkids. You're going to be like, back in my day, when I had to lower something, I had to, like, turn a knob. And you're going to, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? You just tell it to lower now. You do it, it's voice activated. Come on, Grandpa. That's an analog thing. That means that as you lower that thing, the volume goes lower. As you raise that thing, the volume goes up. This generation is digital. It's on, it's off. Think of a light switch. You're on, you're off. With God, learning, obedience has that digital component. 
Holiness has this digital component. It's saying within your heart, I will follow you. Because you can't kind of mow the lawn, right? You're either going to mow it or you're not. You can't kind of be pregnant. You're pregnant or you're not. Obedience is digital. It's on, it's off. And holiness has this component. But it also has an analog component. And this twofold nature of it is what makes it so difficult for us to grasp. Because the analog component is this. Learning happens analog. Gabriel's going to, first he started walking, then he's going to start running. Once he starts running, maybe he'll get a tricycle. After that tricycle, he'll get a bike, and maybe he'll get like one of those little electric four-wheelers, and then he'll start getting a driver's permit, right? It's step by step by step. I'm sorry, Pam probably just went, he's going to grow up. I kind of did on the inside. It's okay. Holiness is both digital and analog. Digital and analog. Our obedience must be a choice that we decide to make and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to live for you and with you. Our learning will be analog and will be held to responsible for what we know. So if, as we deal with God, we need to put his needs and his kingdom first and honor him first in all things and know that holiness will be a natural fruit that comes from us growing and learning and loving the Lord That's this vertical. What about the horizontal? How do we treat each other? And this is an old idea that we are a light and that we've been given a light. And how bright is your light? You see, in John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, it talks about this concept of walking in the light. And this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This idea of light. It's something that's like a fire inside of us that is kindled at first and it grows and it grows and it grows. How many of y'all have grandparents that are just like angels? <laughs> you go there and they always have like a piece of candy for you. Your parents might get like, you might have just gotten in trouble with your parents and your grandparents see you and they're like, oh, come here, mijo, come here, mijo. <laughs> There's this element that as we grow and as we get older, we should look more like Jesus. And I've met some older men and women that I stand in their presence and I feel the presence of the Lord. I can't explain it. It's God on them coming through them. There's some missionaries that as soon as they enter the room, I just want to start weeping. I don't know why. (laughs) Because they're holy people. They're holy. And that light that they had, they've kindled it and they've let it grow and grow and grow and grow. And you know what? When you get into eternity... When we enter heaven, it's not going to stop. Because if God is infinite, then how can we find the end? We're going to all get to heaven, and we're going to be like preschool. (laughs) Can you imagine talking to Abraham? Can you imagine talking to Charles Finney? The conversations you can have where they've 
It's, uh, it's going to be insane. I think about it like I, I play guitar, right? So I, I think about it how if I, I've studied classical guitar for probably about 10 years, and I'm like, I'm at such and such level, right? What if I had like 200 years? What if I had 1,000 years? Can you imagine? Like, it's going to keep growing. And this light that we have inside of us, God asks for us to let it grow and keep it growing, even while we're alive on this earth. And this idea of holiness, there's a cultural context to this as well, okay? So holiness here, we think of holy. What you guys think in your mind is not what the whole world thinks. If you were to go to India and you were to ask them, what is holy? Who is holy? They'd probably describe to you someone who's decided to live their life in a separate way, but not in a good way. There's practices and religious faiths where it's okay to to do whatever you want on the inside so long as you chastise yourself on the outside. In the West here, holy is like a nice guy. Holy is like, oh, you're like Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. You don't ever go out and party. You don't go do this thing. But you're kind of dumb. In the East, you're wise. In the East, you're like, yeah, you've devoted your whole life to this thing. But you can be like the worst person in the world. So this idea of holiness has this cultural context that we also have to put inside of it. But we're just going to go back to it. I'm going to keep saying this and say it again. Holiness is the measure of love and wisdom, infinite in God and finite in those that he made. So my question to you is this tonight. To what degree are you living out the light that you've been given to your fellow man? You see, when asked what the greatest commandment was, Jesus said, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul. Mark adds strength. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. The greatest command is to love God. And his love is expressed through his power, his wisdom, his virtue, his goodness, right? So what is Jesus implying here? But to be holy like God. You'll find that command in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. So here's my question to you regarding holiness to your fellow person. Are you loving your friends the way God loves you? This is not a rhetorical question. I want us to actually take a moment and think about this. Think of your friendships. Do you love them the way that God loves you? Are you good like God to those around you? When you get together with them, do you listen? Or are you the one doing all the talking? How about his attributes? In your own life, are you wise like God? Are you virtuous? Are you good? Are you pure? Do you treat your body as if it belongs to him and not yourself? Are you holy? See, if holiness is God's wisdom and his love expressed finitely through us, then to ask that question, are you holy, is simply us asking, are we being wise and loving sanctified, pure, set apart to God and to also our brothers and our sisters. If the band could come back, 
I want to remind you that this action of holiness, this act of separating yourself of purity is not something that we can do on our own. But it's enabled through the Holy Spirit. And if you have an area in your life right now or a place in your life where you know you're not holy, you know you're not being wise, you know you're not being loving, you're being selfish, I want to invite you right now to give it to the Lord. And if you truly, truly mean it, to repent. Repentance is turning away from the thing that we have to have a change of mind, a change of heart, and to take a 180 and to go in the other direction. Not just in our mind, in our heart, but even in our actions. And so for those areas in our life right now where we're not holy, we're going to have a time of prayer. And we're going to get with Jesus. He's here in this room. He's going to speak to you. And I invite you, if you brought someone or someone is here with you that invited you here, they would love to pray with you. You don't have to go through this alone. Ask them to go to the front with you. Ask them to pray with you. If you're getting a glimpse and a vision of God's holiness tonight that maybe you've never had, and you want to give your life to the Lord in a new way, or maybe even for the first time, the person that brought you, will you tell them that? Will you tell them to ask them to pray with you? The Lord said that those who believe on Him and call on His name those who ask, who seek, who knock, that door will be opened. God's right there. He's ready to meet you. And if you want to give your life to him, you can. I didn't take, I didn't, didn't preach this because I wanted to. This is a hard thing and this is a difficult thing. The Lord's been doing something in my heart. And he's been breaking it. And each time that I worked on this, I couldn't even get through it. I'd always have to take a pause because it usually just ended in tears. But I feel in my, in my heart, in my spirit, I feel like the Lord is saying that he wants to be our friend. And he wants to be close with us. And he wants to come into our lives in a a greater way. But for some of us, we're the ones holding our hand on that door and we're keeping them from coming in. And sometimes it's because we think we're not deserving. And I'll tell you, you're right, you're not deserving. But Jesus came and he died for you. And he loves you. And he wants you to walk with him. And he wants to be with you. For some of us, I feel like we're just kind of doing the thing. And I'm not just saying this about us in this room. I speak for myself too. There's areas in my life where I'm just doing the thing. Where I've done it a million times and I just walk into the room and I go on autopilot and the Lord weeps. 
because he wants to do that thing with us. And so I feel that God has a call and a cry for this campus. And he's using you guys. He's using us. But first he has to get close to us. He's asking us to be holy and to see him in holiness. Will you bow your heads and let's pray.